Carrie, would you pray for our time in the Word and our time in worship? Father, first we want to come to you and we want to lift up, God, those that yes, Father. Um, worship you, God, under persecution today, Father. Those that because they've claimed your name, they have suffered greatly, Father, in countless ways, God. And we just get a, a glimpse and a taste of that, Father, and just a small knowledge of what's truly going on in the rest of the world, Father. So, so we lift them up before you, God. We ask that you would strengthen them, protect them by the power of your name, Father. Pray that the gospel would continue to go forth, God. I pray that you would heal them, Lord. I pray that yes. you would give them courage and boldness. I yes. pray, Father, as they are suffering, that their eyes would look upon you, Father, and they would be strengthened, Lord. I pray for those that, God, are jailed in your name today, God. I pray, Father, if it be your will, that you would free them, Lord. I pray, God, that they would have a song in their spirit, as Paul and Silas did, Father. And I pray, God, that you would continue to strengthen them, God. And we pray for their persecutors today in the name of Jesus, Father, that they would have the Damascus Road experience, God. Those that torture in your name, Father, I pray. God, that they would see you and have a clear yes. vision of who you are, and that they would fall to their knees in repentance in the yes, name of Lord. Jesus, Father, and many would come to know you, God. And Father, I thank you as we come together that we would be a united body of Christ, Father, all across this nation and in this room, Father. And I pray, God, that as we worship you in spirit and in truth, the conviction would fall and we would move mightily to change in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you that you so love the world that you sent your one and only Son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You so loved the world. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Your word says and declares, and we know it to be true, that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled back to the Father. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And oh God, how I pray that today, that we all, rather we're here or online or at some point listening to the podcast, that we all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That our blind eyes would be open, that our chains would fall off, that we would be a free people. No longer enslaved to sin, but a slave to righteousness. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, that if we are in Christ, that we have the Holy Spirit within us, God in us, God with us, empowering us to do the will of the Father, to go forth and proclaim to the captives that Jesus is Lord of all, that he has been born, and not only has he been born, but he has walked the earth, and not only has he walked the earth, but he was crucified, he took our wrath that we deserve, the wrath that we deserve because of our sin, and not only was he crucified, but he was buried, and not only was he buried, but three days later, he was resurrected, and he is the resurrected king, the living Lord. The hope that is found for those who are enslaved to the rebellious ways of the flesh. The hope of freedom. The hope to be restored. To be whole. So Father, we thank you. Father, we worship you. Father, we acknowledge you as Lord. We thank you yet for yet another day to gather, to open your word, to hear from you, Lord, to be encouraged. So may we be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. May our hearts be of good soil to receive. Father, may it not be choked or snatched out, but may your word take root. And may it produce lasting fruit in our lives. And may this season, this Christmas season, Father, may we not forget truly the reason for it. To honor you. Jesus. Jesus. So have your way among us and in us and through us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. The last Sunday we will be together this year. And all year I've been talking about these three R's. Repentance, resolve, 
and release. And oh, how I pray that you have been putting these in to practice. The first R, to repent. The action of repentance or repenting. Sincere regret or remorse. And we've looked at 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 through 11. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow lacks repentance. It results in spiritual death. True repentance is a turning away from. Repentance is not just, oops, I got caught, I'm sorry, or oops, I feel bad, I'm sorry. No, no. True repentance is this godly sorrow. Listen to what scripture says there. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from the bad attitudes, the wrong mindsets, the lust, the deception, the the manipulation, the insecurities, everything that holds us bound that tries to make us identify with it, that keeps us enslaved to the rebellion, is sin. And that we should have no part of it. We should actually grieve when we see ourselves tasting of it, touching it, thanking it, allowing it to lead us. We should recognize it for what it is. In and of ourselves, we were born In the flesh, in sin, all of us, all of us, rebellious against a holy God. And yet God so loved us, like he first loved us, even in that state, even in that condition, God loves us. And his desire is that none shall perish. This is good news. So we ought not to be clinging tightly to the old. We should be learning how to let go. We should understand what what repentance is. It's just not a one-time little prayer. It's a lifestyle. It's every day. When you see the error in your ways, repent. And remember, repentance is not of your own doing. Your repentance comes... Because of God's loving kindness towards you, He leads you to repentance. And that's the truth of Scripture. In and of ourselves, we wouldn't repent. In and of ourselves, we would remain rebellious. (laughs) But because of His loving kindness, He draws us to Himself. And yet, usually, what is our first response? We run from Him. We hide from Him. Or we create a God in our own image to keep us enslaved to what we're bound by. And yet, but the living God, the true God, the only God, calls us out, calls us, he draws us to himself. That we would see the ugliness, that we would see the rebellion, that we would see the very nature that is killing us enslaving us, breaking us, moment by moment by moment. And yet he calls us to a place of healing, 
of wholeness, of truth, of love, of freedom. And that's why I keep encouraging us. Why would we trade his love for his wrath? He's a just God. He does not tolerate sin. We should get to a place, we should be growing to a place where we hate it. We recognize it for what it is, and we repent. It's a godly sorrow. It's a sincere regret or remorse. And the beauty of it is that we don't have to stay down, but that we can repent and we can get up and we can move forward. We don't have to stay down in a lowly state like, oh, look how bad I am. I'm nothing but a sinner. I'm this, I'm that. And we stay in this weird state of mind and and, and, and position that we go nowhere. Yes, we are to remain humble. Yes, we are to remain down and not rise up in pride or think it's anything of us. But when we make repentance about us, when we just make it about our doing, and look how bad I am, and we do this weird thing that people do, we even make that about us, and it has nothing to do with us. Repentance is liberating. It's, it's, it's freeing. It's keeping your eyes focused on Jesus because we understand that it's because of his loving kindness that brought us to that place. And so it's all about him. Everything is about Jesus. <laughs> not just during Christmas, not just during Easter, but every day of the year, your life in Christ is all about Jesus. So even repentance has nothing to really to do with you, but all for him. It reveals his love. It reveals his glory. It reveals his truth. He draws us. We repent with a sincere regret and remorse. And we get up. And the second R is we resolve to decide firmly on a course of action, and make up one's mind. I love it when Jesus tells his disciples or tells those who are following him, consider the cost, because it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you everything. There's to be not one relationship in this earthly realm that should be greater than him. He also tells them, if you put your hand to the plow, to follow me, and you look back, you're not fit for my kingdom. This is Jesus, you all. This is Jesus. Doesn't consider the cost. If you're going to be my disciple, he says, you're going to have to deny yourself, pick up the cross, and follow me. This is Jesus, you all. He knows. He also tells them, you have to be born again of the Spirit. Like this is Jesus. To decide firmly, to make up your mind, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm not going to keep going back to my vomit, to my old ways, to my old patterns of behavior and thinking. I'm not just going to play a religious game when I got one foot in and one foot out. 
No, I'm not just going to keep doing what I've, do, what I've done and just slap Jesus on my life. No, no, I'm going to consider the cost. I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I recognize it is His loving kindness that is drawing me to Himself. I don't need to fight or resist Him any longer. No, I'm freely laying myself down and saying, Yes, Lord. I've come to an understanding, not in and of myself, but because that you clearly have revealed yourself. That God is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son, Jesus. He's given us the Holy Spirit if we have received Christ, if we have repented, if we have we come to a place of having a, a bold confession and a belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. I told you, that alone should be defining your life from here on if you are a believer because you have been born of a new nature. You are born of the Spirit. Paul even tells the church, and we've talked about it a few times, Why are you trying to live out in the flesh what you have received in the Spirit? You can't. You can't. So to resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action, to make up your mind, and it's just not a one-time process. It's every day. Because you're behind enemy lines. You're still encased in this nature that will love nothing more than to destroy you. The Bible tells us in Galatians, the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. And I've always encouraged you, what you feed breeds. So if you're just living off the flesh, that's all you have is the flesh. Wrath, destruction, death, nothing good. It always will lead to destruction. Even if you think and you've changed your circumstances or your circumstances have changed or things are somewhat at peace. Oh no, if you're accomplishing things in your flesh, it will always bring forth destruction. A spiritual life is not based on your circumstances changing. Because in fact, Jesus tells you in this world you're going to have trouble because you're behind enemy lines. They hated me, so they're going to hate you. They Persecuted me, so they're going to persecute you. Like, as the days and the hours and the minutes are approaching to his return, Christians are going to be pushed further and further and further out of the world system. That we are going to be hated. We're already hated. (laughs) But the level is just going to increase Because the spirit of the age, the spirit of deception, the spirit of the occult, of perversion, you name it, everything is rising up. And it's all in rebellion towards the kingdom of God. And you want to keep living by the flesh? You want to keep having just one foot in and one foot out? You just want to come when it's convenient for you? You just want to slap Jesus on you when it's right and it feels okay today to talk about Jesus and just live a monk all the rest of the time? Come on, that is not what a Christian life is. That is not who the church is. There is a way in which we are called to live. 
And it's to honor Christ. And by honoring Him, we're loving Him, we're serving Him. Not because we're forced to, because our eyes have been opened. We have been freed. We know what it is to be enslaved. And so we have a desire for the captives to know the one that can set them free. That's why we go forth and we tell them of the good news of Jesus. The scripture we've used, and there's been a lot of scriptures, but the scriptures I've encouraged you over there to kind of focus on is Romans 6, verse 11 through 12. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Resolve, decide firmly, make up your mind daily. By moment, by moment, if need be, but to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. It is all about Jesus. When temptation comes, the word of God says he makes a way out of it. (laughs) Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I've encouraged you throughout the year, you should be preaching yourself happy. You should be taking your sword and learning how to use it. You should be picking up the shield of faith and and, and allowing it to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. You should be dressed for battle daily. (laughs) And as you come to a place of repentance, as you're coming to a place that to resolve, I've encouraged you the final R that I've held up to you for over a year now to release To let go. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. To release. To let it go. The past. The pain. The insecurities. All the wounds. The scars of this life before Christ. Relationships. Mindsets. Things, possessions, whatever's keeping you from Christ, let it go. Because there's nothing good coming from it, no matter how you talk yourself in to keeping it. I've encouraged you before and continue to encourage you. Why are you resisting God? And wanting and fighting for the right just to be destroyed. Because you want to cling to the temporalness of this life. The temporal things of this life can bring us no eternal satisfaction. They may bring some type of satisfaction in the here and now. But in a moment it will be gone. (laughs) So we're not to be clinging to the temporal things of life. No, we're to be clinging to the eternal one who has given us life. Go to Isaiah chapter 7. Scriptures, I'm going to encourage us in hopes that they would encourage you to persevere. Isaiah chapter 7. This is Isaiah's prophecy of Jesus' birth. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 13 through 14. Then Isaiah said, Listen, 
Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Good Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. The hope and the Messiah. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zubalam and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the armies of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Listen to that last line. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen, and he did make it happen when Jesus Christ was born on that holy night, on that silent night. The prophecy that was spoken all the way back in the garden of the one who would come to crush the head of the serpent who deceived the created man and woman. And I've always encouraged you, Adam and Eve's fall did not take God by surprise because the cross was already purposed before the earth even was formed or even before he spoke. It was already planned. God's love to be revealed to creation. So why would we continue just to make this about religion? Man's ways trying to attempt to reach God when God has made it about a relationship. God sent His Son, Jesus, fully God, fully man, to redeem the world. 
as I shared with you last week and as I've shared with you multiple times, the Bible tells us Jesus himself said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And I always encourage you, keep reading. Don't stop there. Because the world already stands condemned. Judgment, the wrath of God is stored up. It is coming to this earth. And those who are outside of Christ are going to be swept up in it. And for eternity, for eternity, they would be in hell, a place of torment, nonstop, forever and ever and ever and ever. Who have you shared the gospel with this week? I keep encouraging you. You ought to care more about people's eternities than their temporalness. We have got to start speaking up. We have got to start praying for boldness that we would be a witness that we would begin to grow, that we would begin to live a spiritual life, understanding what it means to be a Christian, not just settling back and being lulled to sleep, just existing day in and day out as if all we have is what is before us. Oh, you got to look up. You got to look up. This is prophecy being fulfilled. This is what God himself has purposed. He is not man that he should lie. You ought to know your creator. You ought to love your creator. You ought to be serving your creator. And you ought to be witnessing of his goodness and of his love. I know our circumstances. I know this world can be, and we can be hard-pressed and pressed in on every side, but also know the Word of God says we will not be crushed. Like there's a way in which we are called now to live. Isaiah was speaking of the birth of the Messiah who was coming to set God's people free. Are you free today because of Christ? If you're not, it's not Him holding back from you. It's you holding back from Him. No matter what your excuses are, no matter how you're holding up your hand and your fist against Him, God is just. God is kind. God is love. There's no error found in God. That's why I keep encouraging you all throughout this year, you need to not allow yourself to be taught about God or understand God by the world system, by your own creation of how you would like to see him or by the way the enemy would lead you. Those three things are against you. Those three things are great forces that oppress you. And it's a choice. It's a choice for you and for me to get up every single day and put our faith and our hope in Jesus, that we're waiting for the day of salvation. Like He is coming. And pro- prophetically, you can look at all the prophecies. Everything is lining up, and I keep telling you, like there's no other book written 
that has put everything in order and is coming to pass. This is God's word, the living word. Oh, how I pray that you're devouring it. Oh, how I pray that you're getting to where you're hungering it. Oh, how I pray that you're asking the Holy Spirit, teach me, prepare me, because I keep encouraging you. You're not a mistake. You were meant for today. You were meant for the darkness that's rising up upon this earth. You were meant not to remain in the rebellion, but remain in the freedom fighters. To get up and go forth daily, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, first to yourself and then to others. Proclaim the gospel to yourself and then to others. Go forth and allow what God is doing in and through your life to be displayed because you are to be his image bearer. You are to be his hands and his feet. You're not to remain selfish. You're not to be just going just to go. You ought to be the one that is showing up with purpose. But you don't understand what I'm going through. It has nothing to do with what you're going through. It has all to do with what he's bringing you through. See, our circumstances and everything that we're facing are there to produce something within us. They're not to produce uh, um, us to, to, to pull away or, or to, to, to go and try to do it in and of ourselves. No, they're there to bring us closer to him. They produce perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And the hope in Jesus will never disappoint us. I'm telling you all, it'll never disappoint us. Do you know how much you're loved? Do you know? I've been thinking about that over these past weeks. Especially as I've been meditating and looking at these scriptures in Isaiah. And the next two scriptures I'm going to read to you before we get into our walking through the word scriptures. But these scriptures I'm sharing with you to encourage you to persevere. To realize that this just isn't a story. This just isn't a book that's just like, okay, that's nice. No, no, this is, this is what it's all about, you all. This is the meaning, this is the purpose, this is everything that has to do with everyone who has ever been born. God is looking for a people that he will call his own. And in return, they will call him their God in every generation. You were meant for today. Stop your foolishness. Stop going back. Stop doubting. Get up. It's time. It is time for you to put your hope and your faith in the one who is returning. Because all those who are in Christ for eternity, for eternity will be with him in his kingdom. And he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He's coming back. He has not left us on our own. He has given us himself, the Holy Spirit. He has empowered us to, to do what he has called of us. So that's why this Christian life cannot be based on you. Your ups and your downs, your highs and your lows, it has to be based on him. So I've been thinking about how much he loves us. How much he loves me. Do you understand? Because a lot of people, even before Christ, I had a misconception because I let others tell me about God. 
I allow the world system to tell me about God. I, I listen to the enemy tell me about God. But it wasn't until he revealed himself to me. Because again, God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. And when you understand that, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Not to condemn us, but to save us because he already knew we were condemned. He already knew, oh goodness, what's about to happen to you? I'll take it for you. See, this is God's love for you. Like, I will stand in the gap and I will bear it for you. Just come to me. I've created you. I know you intimately. Stop running from me. Ask yourself, what is keeping you from the love of God? What on God's earth, what in this temporal realm, what in your past and your wounds and everything else keeps you from coming to God? Why are you resisting him? Because it's lies that you've believed. (laughs) And yet every day he is pleased to reveal himself to us. I said, oh God. Oh God. How much you love? I just speak of me. You have your own testimony if you have one. You had to come a day. It doesn't matter how bad or what you did. We all, if we're in Christ, have a testimony. There was a day when you recognized, oh, I'm a sinner. Like, oh God, you love me? And you just freely give yourself to him. Like you just, oh God. And you're born again of a new nature. All of a sudden, you're made aware of things that you you never knew before. All of a sudden, things start making sense. And you just kind of go, and it doesn't matter how the enemy comes at you. It doesn't matter how the world system comes at you. It doesn't matter what desires and things are flaring up in front of you or in you to try to pull you away. And it doesn't matter how the religious institution tries to tell you, it's okay, you just do you. God loves you. (laughs) And they lull you asleep. They teach you about a grace that keeps you enslaved to sin and not truly what grace is, the power to transform. Listen, we're still behind the enemy minds. We're still encased in this flesh that is at war with the spirit. You are in a daily battle. (laughs) And you think just, oh, I'll go to church today or, oh, I'll just get through my day. We're being deceived. You have to be engaged daily. Because of Christ in you, if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, oh Jesus, how I pray that you would come to the saving knowledge of Christ. That you would humble yourself and stop resisting a God who loves you so much. He loves you so much. Go to, I read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 already, right? Yes. Go to Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. The birth of Jesus. Again, scriptures I'm giving you in hopes that you would be encouraged to persevere. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. At the time the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken 
all, re- all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant, listen to this, of King David, because remember, the lineage, the, the, the Messiah is going to come through David and his offspring. He had to go to Bethlehem, which again, that's prophecy. The Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night... There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined with a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest of heavens and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened with which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds, look at this, told everyone, what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them, the Savior, the Messiah, the one in whom God's people have been waiting for. He's here, and he's come as a baby in a manger. There was no room. (laughs) The King of kings, the Lord of lords, in flesh. (laughs) Go to Isaiah fifty. Three. Back to Isaiah. And actually, it's the whole chapter fifty three. Isaiah's prophecy of Jesus. We've read of the prophecy of his birth. We read on the account of his birth. We read where it's God's 
pleasure, God is going to bring about what he has purposed to redeem his people. But we're not just leaving Jesus in the manger. And I've shared with you more than I can even count. The enemy, the world system, and your own flesh doesn't mind having him in the manger. Doesn't mind the world system, the enemy, your own flesh. Doesn't even mind him being a good teacher. The world system, the enemy, your flesh. Doesn't even mind that he's on the cross. The world system, the enemy, your flesh. Doesn't even mind him in the tomb. And people will weep over that. They will understand the cost and they would understand like, oh, what a good man he was and look what he had to endure because this just isn't a story. These are actual events. Where is the Jesus in whom you say, if you say you have your faith in? Oh, how I pray he's resurrected because the enemy the world system, and your very flesh hates it. You talk about the resurrected Christ and you're going to get pushed back. He is not in the manger. He is not just a good teacher. He is not still on the cross and he's definitely not still in the tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, liberating his people. He has gone up. He ascended into heaven. He is at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for you. He knows you. You're not an afterthought. He purposed you. He planned you. The Bible says he's prepared good works for you to do. He knew you would come forth from your mother in a rebellious state, but he also, since that day, has been right there all along with you. Revealing himself time and time and time again. Well, my life sucks. My life was this. My life was that. Where was he in the midst of that? You just questioning that shows me and should show you, oh, he's been there. Because you're wondering where he's been. <laughs> he's be, he, start, he stirred that up in you. You're even questioning. He stirred it up. Look to me. I've been there. I can look back over my life, even in the darkest days and even in my most rebellious ways. And I didn't see him now, but when I look back now, I see him and go, oh God, you were there. <laughs> He's been there. He's purposed you. But today, he not only knew what was going to be going on in your life, but he knows the condition of the earth in which he purposed you to be a part of this generation. This is not the hour for Christians to crumble because of a pandemic, because of inflation, because of the instability of governments throughout the earth. This is the time for Christians to rise up and call upon the living God and say, God, use us. We're here for your benefit, for your glory. Listen. To the prophecy of Jesus. We heard Isaiah prophesy already about the birth of the one who would come. 
Listen to what would happen to the one that came, born of a virgin, lying in a manger. Who has believed our message, Isaiah 53? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. This is Isaiah prophesying on Jesus. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment of his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yes, the Lord laid upon him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep in silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that life, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan. Oh, can we just stop there for a second? And if you didn't hear the teaching on God's sovereignty last week, would you just go and listen to it? Even if you did hear it, go back and just sit and meditate upon those scriptures. Did you hear what was just laid out about this Messiah? And what he was, would endure and did endure. It says here, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. This is God's son. <laughs> Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many, for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. You all, this is Jesus. 
want you to ponder on the scriptures that we've heard here, and then we'll pick up after this time of worship.
good news, you all. The Savior has been born. God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus walked the earth. He taught. And He gathered His disciples around Him to prepare them for their moment in time to go forth after He was crucified, buried, and rose again. He told them to go wait in the upper room. They received the Holy Spirit and they went out and they turned the world upside down. And Christians are doing the same today and will continue to do it until His return. Only you know where you're at with Jesus. (laughs) Is he truly your savior? Has he made you whole? Has he healed you? And not just this physical healing. Yes, he still does physical healings, but there's a depth that we've really got to grasp onto about the healing power and the wholeness in which Jesus says, I've come to give. Because you're not to live broken any longer. Your choices and your decisions are not based any longer out of your brokenness. They're based out of a wholeness because you have been revealed because God so loved you and he was pleased to reveal to you Jesus. The one who has come to redeem you. He purchased you. I know how I pray that you're living in a way that honors him. That it's just not, again, religion. It's just not another story. No, you've considered the cost. You are denying yourself. You're picking up your cross and you're following him. This is the good news, you all. This is the good news. And the Bible says it's good news for those who are being saved. Those who are going to remain in rebellion to him, and there are many. Not everyone's going to heaven. <laughs> there are many. There are institutions that bear his name, but they are damned to hell. <laughs> There's many who are in rebellion towards him. And I've always warned you all if you're hearing a gospel message that is giving you the right to yourself. Flee from it. Run from it. Because that's not the gospel. It's all about him, you all. This is the good news. This is the hope that we have. This is the reason why we as Christians should be gathering this time of year and celebrating. This is glorious news. This is great news. That God came to save his creation. He purposed it. He was pleased to do it because of his love for us. Go to Second Samuel 
walking up. We're picking up, walking through our scriptures. We're going to be picking up here in 2 Samuel. We see King David. Scripture tells us and points us, rather it's the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. It's all about Jesus. But also within Scripture, as we're learning of Jesus, we're also learning how to walk this out, not in and of our own knowledge and strength, but of the Holy Spirit. There's ways in which Scripture keeps us and tells us how we ought to be living. It shows us the error in our ways. One thing I love about Scripture is these people that are captured in this Holy Word, and in the New Testament it tells us the importance of why you need the Old Testament, because all of that is captured for us, so we know how we ought to live. And so the beauty of it, and what I love about it, is that these are just normal people. There's nothing significant about any of these people. They were born sinners, they were in rebellion towards God, but God was pleased to call them out in the midst of their generation and raise them up to point people to Him. But we see their flaws, we see their failures. We see, we see their, their, their victories because of what God has done. But we also see prophetically what God has purposed. That's why... Israel, they knew of the Messiah. They were told over and over of the one who would come. And we understand now that he had to come through the line of David. David's throne was established so the Messiah would come forth. And King David, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. Remember, he was just a little shepherd boy playing his harp, tending to the sheep. But he was a great warrior as well. And God chose David. (laughs) When mostly men probably wouldn't have at first. But God knew what God was bringing forth. But we're learning a lot about David. Of his victories and of his failures. We, We read his psalms that he penned. He's very transparent about the good, the bad, and the ugly. The anxiety, the panic, the torment. (laughs) His enemies coming after him. He's very open about it. And yet he says, but God. We saw the last time we read about him. His son Absalom has now taken the throne from him. And David's running out of Jerusalem. He could have fought. He could have destroyed his son in this rebellion. But David left. And we understand that he trusted in the sovereignty of God. And we see David going through all these emotions and this range of just torment. And even in the midst of all of that, you know what hope I get, and hopefully you all have received as well, is that it doesn't matter. You're going to go through seasons of life where just all hell, everything is falling apart, and everything is just pressing up against you. But you have to keep your wits about you. You have to still use wisdom. You have to still be engaged and not get overwhelmed and taken down. That's what I loved about that. David still had his wits about him to send people back to to spy on Absalom, to keep a a, a feel of what's happening there. But yeah, he was still going through turmoil. So I don't know what you're going to face next week or next year. 
or the next hour. <laughs> but life is going to throw everything it has at you. The enemy is going to breathe down your neck. The world system hates you. If you're a Christian, it'll accept you if you're of it. <laughs> and your own flesh within you will love nothing more than to snatch you back. But oh, how we need to be positioned in Christ. That's why I love when the New Testament comes along and the New Testament reminds us that your new identity is in Christ. You're seated with Christ. You're clothed with Christ. This is who you are now. That's why it's so vital that you're maturing and that you're growing and that you're being discipled and have accountability and there's a community around you <laughs> because we all need it because none of us are going to be perfect until we're with him. But until then, we have to mature. We have to grow. We have to know what it looks like to put arms and feet and heads and everything else together and live this out because we are his body. But King David, he's a mess right now. And yet, he's still chosen by God. He's made decisions that he ought not have made, and that's why I keep telling you all, trust me, your decisions that you're making, no matter how much you love Jesus, if they're not honoring, honoring Jesus, don't think that Jesus is just going to yoke himself with you and say, okay, this is fine. Oh, no, no, no. You can make those decisions. It's like saying... Let me see what I can get away with. <laughs> oh, I got away with that. Nothing happened. He didn't zap me with lightning. He didn't this. This didn't happen. My health didn't go. My finances didn't go. My relationship. No, let me just go a little bit more from him. Let me just keep making these decisions that feel right to me, but I know they're not honoring God. And that's what we do. We just keep going. We just keep going. We just keep going. We just keep going. And we just keep going. And we just keep going. And then finally, we wonder, where is he? Like I feel so separated. I, I'm no longer in community with the church. I, I, my prayer life is kind of still. My worship is kind of barren. And all of a sudden now we blame God as, as, as he's gone somewhere. And I told you, and I read that psalm to you before, where God says, you think because of my silence, I was approving what you were doing? No. I'm coming after you and I'm going to tear you apart with my own hands. Well, how is that a loving God? How is it not? <laughs> because he disciplines those that he loves. Because if he would have probably put his foot down when you first made that decision, you already are in a state of rebellion towards him because you were even making that decision that you probably wouldn't have even listened to him. So he loves us enough to say, okay, you want to make these decisions? You want to keep going through life and just keep pushing me aside? You have every right to, but in the end, know that there's consequences. And we see this with David because God sends these prophets and these people to David to, to, to basically expose David. And then David, what does David do? And that's another beauty of, of studying the life of David is he repents. He's quick to repent when, it's, when he when he recognizes, oh, God, I'm sorry. He's quick. He knows it's God's loving kindness that's drawing him. He's not holding his fist up to God, blaming God. No, David knows God. 
So just because you know God doesn't mean you're not going to make wrong decisions. <laughs> but hopefully they're far from few. <laughs> but there's consequences. And that's what David is experiencing now. Because God said, David, I forgive you. I forgive you. But consequences, David. Consequences. Not only upon you, but upon your children. Consequences, David. Not because I'm a bad God. <laughs> But because you chose this, I've forgiven. I'm, you're, you are forgiven. I forgive you. But David, there are consequences. And that's what we're reading now, the account of his life, where consequences. Because he chose the wrong ways. He should have allowed God's justice to, be, to reign. Instead of him not allowing it, he made provision for his children to go off without being disciplined or without being punished, ultimately executed. Think about that. Think about that. His son raped his daughter. He should have been executed. David did not. So it was Absalom, the other son, who stewed for two years and said, oh, justice will come, but it'll come from my hands. And Absalom killed the brother, his brother. And then after he killed him, he fled. And the time that he was away, the Lord knows what he was conjuring up. But he was brought back to David. At first, David had nothing. David allowed him back. But David said, he's not allowed to come into my presence. And then finally, David realized, okay, no, wait a minute. Come, there was a reconciliation. It was a beautiful moment, but only lasted for a moment because Absalom saw his door open. People can play off your weaknesses. Don't think everyone that's up in your face is for you. You got to have wisdom. And since that reconciliation, Absalom said, I'll take the throne now. And he devised a plan. And it's put in place. David's on the run. We pick up in chapter 17. Now, Ahithophel urged Absalom. Now, this is Ahithophel is a very wise man. He used to serve David. He's a great warrior. He, he's a brilliant political leader. If you were in politics today, you would want Ahithophel on your side if you're not a Christian. <laughs> because he's very, he knows. I can get you in, I can get you in the seat. You'll win. So Ahithophel urged Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men to start out after David tonight. I will catch up with him while he is weary and discouraged. He and his troops will panic and everyone will run away. Then I will kill the king. And I will bring all the people back to you as a bride returns to her husband. After all, it is only one man's life that you seek. Then you will be at peace with all the people. This plan seemed good to Absalom. And all of the elders of Israel. But then Absalom said, 
bring Hushai the archite. Let's see what he thinks about this. Remember this guy? This is the one David said, go back. <laughs> David also prayed to the Lord that Absalom, I mean Absalom, that Ahithophel would, would not prosper in anything that he would speak over to the king Absalom. So now David's guy who's been placed there, ultimately not by David, by the sovereignty of God, God's plans, God's purpose. <clears throat> but then Absalom, after hearing great wisdom, bring in Hushai the archite. Let's see what he thinks about this. When Hushai arrived, Absalom told him what Ahithophel had said. Then he asked, what is your opinion? Should we follow Ahithophel's advice? If not, what do you suggest? Well, Hushai replied to Absalom, this time Ahithophel has made a mistake. You know your father and his men, they are mighty warriors. Right now they are enraged as a mother bear who has been robbed of her cubs. And remember that your father is an experienced man of war. He won't be spending the night among the troops. He is probably already hidden in some pit or cave. And when he comes out and attacks and a few of your men fall, there will be panic among your troops. And the word will spread that Absalom's men are being slaughtered. Then even the bravest soldiers, though they have the heart of a lion, will be paralyzed with fear. For all of Israel knows what a mighty warrior your father is and how courageous his men are. I recommend that you mobilize the entire army of Israel, bringing them from far as far away as Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. That way you will have an army as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And I advise that you personally lead the troops. When we find David, we will fall on him like dew that falls on the ground. Then neither he nor uh, any of his men will be left alive. And if David were to escape into some town, you will have all of Israel there at your command. Then we can take ropes and drag the walls of that town into the nearest valley until every stone is turned down. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, Hushai's advice is better than Ahithophel's. For the Lord had determined to defeat the council of Ahithophel, which really was the better plan, so, then, so that he could bring disaster on Absalom. You see, God in and of his justice and rule and reign has already set out that Absalom will be dealt with. Hushai told Zadok and Abathar, the priests, what Ahithophel had said to Absalom and the elders of Israel and what he himself had advised instead. Quick, he told them, find David and urge him not to stay at the shallows of the Jordan River tonight. He must go across at once into the wilderness beyond, otherwise he will die in his entire army with him. Jonathan and Mahamaz had been staying in Igrel so that so as not to be seen entering and leaving the city. Arrangements have been made for a servant girl to bring them the message they were to take to King David. 
But a boy spotted them at Ingro, and he told Absalom about it. So they quickly escaped to Buriam, where a man hid them down inside a well in his courtyard. The man's wife put a cloth over the top of the well and scattered grain on it to dry in the sun, so no one suspected they were there. When Absalom's men arrived, they asked her, Have you seen these two guys? The woman replied, They were here, but they crossed over the brook. Absalom's men looked for them without success and returned to Jerusalem. The two men crawled out of the well and hurried to King David. Quick, they told him, cross the Jordan tonight. And they told him how Ahithophel had advised that he be captured and killed. So David and all the people with him went across the Jordan River during the night, and they were all on the other bank before dawn. When Ahithophel realized that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, went to his hometown, set his affairs in order, and hanged himself. He's a smart man. Yes. Not that he hung himself. How horrible. He should have realized. He should have repented. He should have realized, wait a minute, I've gone against the living God because I've gone against God's king. But instead, oh no, he knew. I got to get everything in order because what I've done, I'm not going to bear. And he was just thinking of himself, the ridicule. He's not going to bear the insult when King David is put back in power because he knows good and well he would be put to death. So he hung himself. He died there and was buried in the family tomb. David soon arrived at Maon. By now, Absalom had mobilized the entire army of Israel and was leading his troops across the Jordan. Absalom had appointed Amasa as commander of his army, replacing Joah, who, has, who had been commander under David. Amasa was Joab's cousin. His father was Jether, the an Ishmaelite. His mother, Abigail, daughter of Nahash, was the sister of Joab's mother. Absalom and the Israelite army set up camp in the land of Gilead. When David arrived at Mahathim, he was warmly greeted by Shobi, son of Nahash, who became, I mean, who came from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and by Mirker, son of Emiel, from Lodabar, and by Brazel of Gilead, from Roglim. They brought sleeping mats, cooking pots, serving bowls, wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans, lentils, honey, butter, sheep, goats, and cheese for David and those who were with him. For they said, you must be very hungry and tired and thirsty after your long march through the wilderness. We're going to keep going through <clears throat> chapter 18. David now mustered the men who were with him and appointed generals and captains to lead them. He sent the troops out in three groups, placing one group under Joab, one under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zerah, and one and, and one another, Ittai, the man of Gath, the king told his troops, I'm going out with you. But his men objected strongly. You must not go, they urged. If we have to turn and run, and even if half of us die, it will make no difference to Absalom's troop, troops. They will be looking only for you. You are worth 10,000 of us. 
And it is better that you stay here in town and send help if we need it. If you think that's the best plan, I'll do it, the king answered. So he stood alongside the gate of the town as all the troops marched out in groups of hundreds and thousands. And the king gave this command to Joab, Abishai, and Ittai. Oh, hear this. For my sake, deal gently with young Absalom. And all the troops heard the king give this order to his commanders. Now there's a problem with that, you all. David is still using wisdom. He's getting his troops to march out to war. But he's lost sight of the battle and the victory that is needed in this battle. Absalom must be dealt with. David is an incredible warrior and commander and king. There's not, and I've read different commentaries, it's not a surprise that his men looked at him and said, nope, you can't come out on this battle. Because they knew David was weak. David's heart was for Absalom. David's heart wasn't for the throne. His position. David's heart was for the very one who was out to kill him. It wasn't for the kingdom. It wasn't for his throne. And it definitely wasn't for Israel. But ultimately what the men heard is he's not even for us. He's sending us out, knowing good and well that we could die. So the battle began in the forest of Ephraim. And the Israelites' troops were beaten back by David's men. There was a great slaughter that day. The 20,000 men laid down their lives. The battle raged all across the countryside. And more men died because of the force than were killed by the sword. During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. One of David's men saw what had happened and told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling from a great tree. What? Joab demanded. You saw him there and didn't kill him? I would have rewarded you with ten pieces of silver and a hero's belt. I would not kill the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver, the man replied to Joab. We all heard the king say to you and Abishai and Ittai, For my sake, please spare young Absalom. And if I had betrayed the king by killing his son, and the king and, and the king will certainly find out who did it, You yourself would be the first to abandon me. Enough of this nonsense, Joab said. Then he took three daggers and plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled still alive in the great tree. Ten of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him. Then Joab blew the ram's horns and his men returned from chasing the army of Israel. They threw Absalom's body into a deep pit in the forest and piled a great heap of stones over it and all of Israel fled to their homes. During his lifetime, Absalom had built a monument to himself in the king's valley. For he said, 
I have no son to carry on my name. He named the monument after himself, and it is known as Absalom's monument to this day. Then Zadok's son Ahaz said, Let me run to the king with the good news that the Lord has rescued him from his enemies. No, Joab told him. It wouldn't be good news to the king that his son is dead. You can be my messenger another time, but not today. Then Joab said to the man from Ethiopia, Go tell the king what you have seen. The man bowed and ran off. But Amaz continued to plead with Jacob. Whatever happened, please let me go too. Why should you go, my son? Joab replied. There will be no reward for your news. Yes, but let me go anyway, he begged. Joab finally said, all right, go ahead. So Amaz took the less demanding route by the way of the plain and ran to Mahathan ahead of the Ethiopian. While David was sitting between the inner and outer gates of the town, the watchman climbed to the roof of the gateway by the wall. As he looked, he saw a lone man running toward him. He, sh- he shared, I mean, shouted the news down to David, and the king replied, If he is alone, he has news. As the messenger came closer, the watchman saw another man running toward him. He shouted down, Here comes another one. The king replied, He also will have news. The first man runs like Amas, son of Zadok, the watchman said. He is a good man and comes with good news, the king replied. Then Ahamaz cried out to the king, Everything is all right. He bowed before the king with his face to the ground and said, Praise to the Lord your God who handed over the rebels who dared to stand against my lord the king. And look at David's response. (laughs) What about young Absalom? The king demanded. Is he all right? Ahamaz replied, When Joab told me to come, there was a lot of commotion. But I didn't know what was happening. Wait here, the king told him. So Amaz stepped aside. Then the man from Ethiopia arrived and said, I have good news for my lord, the king. Today the Lord has rescued you from all those who rebelled against you. What about young Absalom? The king demanded. Is he all right? And the Ethiopian replied, May all of your enemies, my lord, the king, both now and in the future, share the same, I'm sorry, share the fate of that young man. The king was overcome with emotion. He went down, he went to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. We're going to go through verse 10. Chapter 19. Word soon reached Joab that the king was weeping and mourning for Absalom. As all the people heard the king's deep grief for his son, the joy of that day's victory was turned into deep sadness. They crept back into the town that day as though they were ashamed and had deserted in battle. The king covered his face with his hands and kept on crying, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab went to the king's room and said to him, We saved your life today. 
and the lives of your sons, your daughters, and your wives, and your concubines. Yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed of ourselves. You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that your commanders and troops mean nothing to you. It seems that as if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would be pleased. Now, go out there and congratulate your troops, for I swear by the Lord that if you do not go out, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. Then you will be worse off than ever before. So the king went out and took his seat at the town gate. And as the news spread throughout the town that he was there, everyone went to him. Meanwhile, the Israelites who had supported Absalom fled to their homes. And throughout all the tribes of Israel, there was much discussion and argument going on. The people were saying, the king rescued us from our enemies and saved us from the Philistines, but Absalom chased him out of the country. Now Absalom, whom we anointed to rule over us, is dead. Why not ask David to come back and be our king again? There's so much going on, you all. And isn't that with life? All because of decisions and choices, not trusting in the sovereignty of God, but just messing things up by our own hands, by our own decisions. And you say, well, what can we learn from this? <laughs> Seek counsel from those who are wise. Seek counsel ultimately from the Lord. And one last thing I would encourage you is, Always enjoy being held accountable. It's not easy. It is not easy at all. Especially when you're emotionally invested in the way you're feeling. I have a right to this. It's my life. I do what I want. This is King David. Listen, you just don't come into a king and tell him what for. You will be struck down dead. David was in grief sincere sorrow and, and mourning over his son. And you would say, he's a parent, there's nothing wrong with that. And you're right. It was his son. But David's the king. He has a position. He has a throne. And he has a people. And ultimately, he has an army. He is leading God's people. And if you understand David's life, David realized back here, when he slept with Bathsheba, the other man's wife, and then he had that man killed, He was told of the consequences that would happen, not only to him, but to his family. Oh, so much more is about to happen to David. David said, it should have been me. But Absalom, you had to pay for my wrong. He's weeping, his mourning, his past is being thrown up to him. We all can testify, maybe not now. If it's never happened, oh, it will happen. All of a sudden, all your wrong decisions, your past, your this, it should have been me. Why do they have to suffer? All of a sudden, all of these emotions and everything is coming through. And if you have someone in your life 
who desperately loves you and wants to hold you accountable and comes alongside you in that moment, you want to devour them. Who are you? I have a right to feel this way. But I praise God we don't see that in David. David, listen to counsel. And that's what I keep telling you all. You're going to go through life. You're going to go through situations. You're going to go through where your past is being thrown up at you. You're just going to go through it. But as you go through it, keep advisors around you that love you and that ultimately want to see you succeed at what you're called to. Joab told him, David, get up from your sorrow and get out there and lead your people. Because if you don't, he basically told them, I'll overthrow you. The men and I will leave. And you thought this was bad? Mm -mm. We'll take you down. I mean, this is basically what Joab, his commander, is telling him. You are the king, man. Get up and act like a king. And as it should be for us, especially if you're in Christ, you're a royalty. Stop wallowing around with filth. Get up and take your place. Get up and take your place. So if you don't have people in your life that won't go toe-to-toe with you, you just have people around you that just as your yes men or yes women, you're just people who just go along with you just because, okay, hey, we'll just go along with you. They don't care nothing about your eternity. They don't care nothing about your purpose in life. They just care about that moment with you here and now. And you surrounded yourself with no one good. You need to have people in your life that will go toe-to-toe with you, that love you enough to slap you around and to say, get up, stop it, and act like you're one who belongs to the king. Go to John chapter 19. John 19. Oh, here we are again looking at the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. Yet it's all under God's sovereign control. Again, nothing is happening apart from God's plan. Same with, with David's life, same with Jesus' life, and same with our life. Nothing Nothing is out of his plan and his purpose for your life. He is in control. That's why it's so important as believers, again, you're knowing your God. You're trusting your God. That's why David could cry out to God, search me, test me, see if there's any wicked way within me. Because he knows God's loving kindness would draw him to repentance, draw him to healing, draw him to wholeness. God's got good gifts for his people. That's why we have to see him in light of what is true, not what we've been deceived by, that we would know the character of God. So we pick up here, John 19, verse 23, is where we're picking up. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice 
for my clothing. So that is what they did. Listen, if you never sat down and prophetically went through the Old Testament scriptures of everything about the Messiah, oh, how you're missing out. I mean, just down to this part of them throwing dice. That was prophetically spoken. You can't make this up, you all. I know people want to say whatever they want about the Bible. (laughs) But listen, you can't make it up. There's no way men or a religious institution or anyone could put this together as perfectly as it's placed from people from thousands of years apart from each other and it all come together so perfectly. (laughs) Understand that the enemy will have nothing more than to keep you blind, shackled, enslaved to just living out the temporalness of this life. Oh, that we would awaken to eternal truths. Chapter, I mean, verse 25, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Oh, dear Lord, do not miss that, you all. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was a day of preparation. And the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath. And a very special Sabbath because it was the Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. These things happen in fulfillment with, of, I'm sorry, with fulfillment of the scriptures that say none of his bones will be broken and they will look on the one they pierce. Again, prophetically, all the way up to his crucifixion, prophecy is being fulfilled, as well as his burial. After were Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of the crucifixion was near a garden 
where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Chapter 20. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings, oh God, don't miss this, lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. So she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you had taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which, which in Hebrew means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, locked doors. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly 
As before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the womb in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Oh God, hear this last sentence. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Then the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are also written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have the life by the power of his name. You all, this is Jesus. Are you in Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? I mean, this is Jesus, you all. We don't have to make it up to be what it's not. It is what it is. He is who he is. I don't have to put on a show for you in hopes that you would come to the saving knowledge of him. No, he's God. He is pleased to reveal himself to you. I can just open up the word. We can read it together. Are you hearing God speak to you? Come from your rebellion and come to my wholeness. Come and receive the salvation in which I sent through my son Jesus. You would be mine and I would be yours. This is the Christian life, living for Jesus, trusting in Jesus, hoping in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And oh, how we should be sharing Jesus. We know the world is against Jesus. We know this spiritual realm is against him. We know our very own nature is against him. But oh, when you see him for who he is, And I love the fact that even Thomas, he didn't berate Thomas. It's a lot of us that doubt. God is okay with your doubting. But it's his desires that you would believe. So he shows himself to you time and time and time and time again. All of your answers can be found in this truth. This is God speaking you all to us. You say, but I don't understand it. Then ask. He's pleased to reveal himself to you. The Holy Spirit will give you understanding. We're not going to know all the great mysteries. But he will make himself known. We won't have all the answers. But he'll give you the answers that you need. And you will live for him and you will love him. And that's why the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body. And with all of your strength. Go to Psalm. We're coming to a close. Psalm 119. Verse 129 is where we're starting. And we'll finish this psalm today. Again, I encourage you all. If you haven't done it this year. Would you start next year? Read through the book of Psalms. Sit down. Listen to the honesty and the transparency of these psalmists. See their relationship with God. Psalm 119, verse 129. Your laws are wonderful. 
No wonder I obey them. The teaching of your word gives light, so even the simple can understand. I pant with expectation, longing for your commands. Oh, do you hear the heart of one who loves God? (laughs) Come and show me your mercy, as you do for all who love your name. Guide my steps by your word, so I will not be overcome by evil. Ransom me from the oppression of evil people, that I can obey your commandments. Look upon me with love. Teach me your decrees. Rivers of tears gush from my eyes because people disobey your instructions. O Lord, you are righteous and your regulations are fair. Your laws are perfect and completely trustworthy. I am overwhelmed with indignation for my enemies who have disregarded your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested. That is why I love them so much. I am insignificant and despised, but I don't forget your commandments. Your justice is eternal and your instructions are perfectly true. As pressure and stress, did you hear that? Again, your Christian life is not floating on clouds, singing hallelujah all day long. Oh no, listen. (laughs) As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. (laughs) Your laws are always right. Help me to understand them so I may live. I pray with all my heart. Answer me, Lord. I will obey your decrees. I cry out to you. Rescue me that I may obey your laws. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope into your words. I stay awake through the night thinking about your promise. In your faithful love, O Lord, hear my cry. Let me be revived by following your regulations. Lawless people are coming to attack me. Do you see his circumstances of what he's going through, but yet how he sees God. Lawless people are coming to attack me. They live far from your instructions, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. I have known from my earliest days that your laws will last forever. Look upon my suffering and rescue me. For I have not forgotten your instructions. Argue my case. Take my side. Protect my life as you promised. The wicked are far from rescue. For they do not bother with your decrees. Lord, how great is your mercy. Let me be revived by following your regulations. Many persecute and trouble me. Yet I have not swerved from your laws. Seeing these traitors make me sick at heart because they care nothing for your word. See how I love your commandments, Lord. Give back my life because of your unfailing love. The very essence of your words is truth. And all your regulations will stand forever. Powerful people harass me without cause. But my heart trembles, oh God, only at your word. I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. 
I hate and abhor all falsehood, but I love your instructions. I will praise you seven times a day because of your regulations are just. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. I long for your rescue, Lord, so I have obeyed your commands. I have obeyed your laws, for I love them very much. Yes, I obey your commandments and laws because you know everything I do. Oh, Lord, listen to my cry. Give me the discerning mind you promised. Listen to my prayer. Rescue me as you promised. Let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decrees. Let my tongue sing about your word, for all your commands are right. Give me a helping hand, for I have chosen to follow your commandments. Oh Lord, I have longed for your rescue, and your instructions are my delight. Let me live so I can praise you, and may your regulations help me. I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. The beautiful ending of this beautiful psalm. Oh, how I pray that you delight in the word of God. Oh, how I pray that you are in relationship with the living God. That he is for you and not against you. This psalmist... Again, these people that we that are captured in the living word of God are there to encourage us that God is not a respecter of persons. There is nothing special about these people. They were murderers. They were liars. They were thieves. They were prostitutes. <laughs> they had a past. But what set them apart was the revelation of God. Who God was to them. They did not take it for granted. And oh, how I pray that we're not taking it for granted. Go to Proverbs. We're ending. Proverbs 16. (laughs) This is good news. It's Christmas time. The Savior is born. (laughs) Proverbs 16, verse 12 through 15. A king detests wrongdoing. For his rule is built on justice. The king is pleased with words from righteous lips. He loves those who speak honestly. The anger of the king is a deadly threat. The wise will try to appease it. When the king smiles, there is life. His favor refreshes like a spring rain. Oh, this Christmas season, how I pray. That you are looking to the King of kings and Lord of lords. To the Savior of the world who came. And not only are you looking, not only have you, hopefully, I pray, have received him. But that you're telling others about him. That you're sharing the good news, you all. This is good news. I know in the day and age in which we're living, everyone wants rights to themselves. Just to be themselves. Just to live however they want. Don't disrupt them. We're not to hate them no matter who they are, because we're no different than them. Because if not for Jesus, we would be right there, still enslaved and in bondage to sin. The consequences of sin is death, judgment, the wrath of God. But because God loved us so much, he sent his one and only son, and Jesus bore it for you.
He took it. And we heard him cry out today, it is finished. I know the joy that you can have. Again, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. The joy that you can have because Jesus is alive. I'm going to close this with this last song. And then I'll close this in prayer. And his gospel is his peace.